Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! Against Gill, the crowd on its feet. Allen for the win! Welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another episode of Sneaker History. And there's this phrase that George Clooney kind of coined, which is one for us, one for them. This is one for me specifically, because I really am a big fan of this next guy that we're going to introduce. You may know him as the 2018 Outback Bowl Blooming Onion, one of four co-hosts of the only college football podcast that exists today. He's not a celebrity hot tub. He's the celebrity hot tub. Ryan Nanny, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thank you. That's that's such a uh, such a powerful intro. I feel like I have a lot to live up to here, but uh, thank you for setting the stage for me here. Of course. And before we go ahead and get started, Ryan had this bold proclamation. Dare I say, is it a New Year's resolution this year? It 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 predated New Year's slightly, but yeah, let's go with that. Okay, that works. So we'll go with that. And simply put. The aforementioned celebrity hot tub, Ryan Nanny, wants to get on as many podcasts as he possibly can. And lo and behold, I have a podcast. And because Ryan has brought me much joy over the last decade plus, I figured he can get my listeners and our listeners at the sneaker history community at least a 30-minute quick shot in the arm of just happiness, weirdness, and everything in between. Well, thank you for having me. Um, you know, if for for those of your listeners who have no idea what the shutdown forecast is and are like, who is this Joker? I, I look forward to seeing how they feel at, at the end of this interview. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't on the agenda, but I mean, it's very hard to quantify what the shutdown forecast is. I think yes, the best yes. way, the closest analogy I could do is if you have a cat, try to explain to that cat what the internet is. And I think you get <laughs> half of what the shutdown forecast is. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's better than I can explain it. So. Okay. We'll go ahead and take that. So Ryan is going to be a good sport today, but because this is a sneaker history podcast and we need to make sure that there is some canon that's still being met. I introduced Ryan to probably our most reoccurring segment, which is rocking and copping. And as if this is your first sneaker history, by the way, rocking is a shoe or something that you're currently wearing and copying is something that you are looking to purchase in the future. Usually we put it towards shoes, but because we've got a, such a distinguished guest today, we can open it up to anything you choose. So Ryan, what are you rocking and what are you copying? All right. Well, let's, let's stick with shoes because as setting this, setting this whole thing up, I explained that I have specifically one messed up foot. It's not like anything horrible. It's just I have foot pain that requires an, a custom orthotic. And as a result, I really only rock one consistent brand and style of shoe, and that is the Asics GT1000. Okay. Every year, it's time to get 
the new pair. They come in like a, a, a decent selection of colorways, so I can sort of like mix it up a little bit. But I also know like this is a dad running shoe. There are more – I would argue there are more dad running shoes than this. And I will also say this. When you hurt your foot and you look up like, okay, what sneakers should I buy to help – stabilize in in my case it was a stress fracture that has sort of just never fully healed properly it's not a big deal but when you look this up on the internet it's like hey what should i what should i buy the number one thing you will see is the nike air monarch the absolute like bottom feeder of even i know like you can't go that route or if you do you are saying i I am at a certain place in my life and I'm not going back to a cooler one. So I don't own Air Monarchs, but they are the recommended shoe for people who are washed and have bad feet, as it turns out. So it's funny you mention that because two things. One, I'm a Nike employee and whatever you think of the Monarch, it's (laughs) amplified within the (laughs) confines of the campus. And then secondly, when uh, the news was spreading within the community that, oh yeah, I'm, my wife's expecting our first kid. I believe there was a impromptu Kickstarter fund that was operated <laughs> to buy me a pair of Monarchs. And it was one of those things where I just hope that it's a reoccurring tradition because I think that is probably the greatest induction ceremony a dad yes. could possibly have. Yeah, And it's yeah. one of those things where I got my pair of Monarchs. I've been wearing them out and about. And I've had friends of mine who are very stylish people. They're Nike designers. They're on that cutting edge. And they are looking at me like I'm Andy Kaufman and I'm doing some sort of performance comedy piece. And I'm just here to tell them, no, it's comfortable. It's comfortable as all get out. I'm not trying to be any sort of intentional troll. It's just at this point, I don't have time for it. But I will say this. Uh, I don't know if you know about the new Nike Go Flyies. And this I, I, I have seen. I've seen them. I haven't. I've I've seen them on the internet, not in person. No. So this right here, this yeah. saves me so much time in the morning when I'm chasing after the kids. So <laughs> if we can get some sort of Super Saiyan merger between the guy, uh, the Nike Go Flyies and the Air Monarch, I'm here for it. But You're, that's that's the dream. That's the that's dream. the dream. So. Okay. Um, as far as Coppin, I decided I didn't give you any warning about this, but. I'm going to flip this at you. If if you are, like me, somebody who is not into sneaker culture but knows people who are, is sort of like casually interested in it, and is like, what's a good starting point? Imagine that like I am a rube walking into a restaurant being like, what is a nice but but accessible bottle of wine that I should order? Like what's a good starting point for somebody like me? From a sneaker perspective, yeah. I know the Jordan 1s are just kind of ubiquitous, as are the Panda Dunks. And I'll go in that genre, and it, it may be a little bit pricey, but because you made the comparison to a bottle of fine wine, I'm af- assuming the person can afford it. I think any pair of Jordan 3s, because okay. this is literally an exercise I just went with my brother-in-law, because he came and visited us over the holidays. And he's actually a fellow Gator, like yourself, if I did my research correctly. So you did, you did. He, he was telling me that, you know, all the kids have Jordan 1s, and I kind of want to go to Jordan, but I don't want to do that. And I was like, come here, my son, take the Jordan three because <laughs> you're going to be at Indian dance practice and there's going to be a lovely young lady that's going to catch your eye. And you don't want to be a sea of ones. You want to be three because you're three times that guy. So that's there my answer go. usually. Okay. The Jordan okay. 
I'm gonna. I'm. I'm going to. I'm gonna pursue this. I don't know if I, I'll let you know if, if and when I pull the trigger. But I need. Mostly, I was like, I need a direction here. I need somewhere a starting point, and the Jordan Three seemed like a good one. And I was gonna say, you have some pretty famous friends that are also sneakerheads. So I mean, Mike Golick Jr. I think he would be another one to kind of consult and use as your sneaker game. Pick his you brain. Know, what, yeah. what would you think? And I think if you bring him the Jordan Three, it may perk his ears a little bit in a good way. Okay. Because okay. I think everybody's like, yeah, I got to get a pair of Yeezys. I got to get a pair of Jordan 1s. No, get Jordan 3s and just okay. be a distinguished gentleman. Okay. Good. I love it. So I'll use this as a segue to talk to you about the fact that despite having the, and I almost think about it, this would be probably the greatest serial killer calling card of all time is just like one insult left at every, like, what is your personal sneaker, sneaker history growing up? Like, did you have a pair and you may not even know the style, but just something right. about sneakers that in a particular moment in your time, they're like, yes, I'm all in on this. Um, so I, I think I was, I was definitely growing up in a house that was like, we're not doing any of that. Like I, I, this will betray my age a little bit, but I remember when the Reebok pump was a thing like, and, and so much, I think of, of why that was a big deal, at least to me was that it was Shaq's shoe. And Shaq was so cool. Like Shaq is still very cool, but I don't think people who maybe come to him now or remember like him from like, let's say his heat days on understand that like young Orlando magic Shaq was unlike anything you'd ever seen, just like super ripped, super tall was in, in college was constantly shattering backboards. Like it was, it was this massive sea change in like what you thought a basketball player could be. So his shoe was something to aspire to. My parents were like, absolutely not. We're not spending. So, so we were somewhere in between what is the cheapest shoe in the store and what is like the, um, the acceptable Reebok or Nike that like, we can find on sale. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't anything that was sort of like, Oh, this is a pivotal. There were, there were a lot, there were things like the pump that was like aspirational, but I never got to live that lifestyle. I will tell you that, um, the shoe that got me in the foot trouble that I live with today, uh, was also an ASICS shoe. It was the, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. The Onitsuka tiger. Oh, I no, forget which a, one exactly. I think you nailed the pronunciation. In fact, right. I go out of my way not to pronounce it. I'm just either go Bruce Lee shoe or the Tiger shoe. Yes, yes, or the or the uh, the Kill Bill shoe is yeah, the other exactly. one. Exactly. Thank you. Yes, yes. Um, that was that was sort of like me sort of saying like, okay, I like how these look. Uh, at the time, I was living in New York, and I was like, this this is comfortable. And the short version is, I walked around in those shoes too much. And finally, a doctor was like, yeah, man, you can't, these are not shoes you can put like three miles a day. That's not what these are for. What did you do? So I was stupid. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think like some part of me, some part of me is always going to be like, man, if only I had gotten pumps, I would have been as cool as Shaq, which is not even close to true. I think you're, you're pretty cool on your own. I have my own kind of story with the pumps. So we, when we first moved to the States, like same concept, like my folks love Nike, love Reebok. It's just like, we're not at that tax bracket. So, yep. so when we got our citizenship, I just remember my dad distinctly taking my brother and I to the local footlocker and they had like a buy to get one free on, I think about 25 or 30 styles. And the weirdest caveat my dad has ever given me is like, you can have any two, but one of the three pairs has to be the Reebok pump. 
And it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I mean, sure. And then the novelty factor of just like pumping yourself up yes. before like mundane high school shit, like, oh, I'm going to take the Spanish quiz. Let me go ahead and get five pumps, right. five questions. Right. Or, right. Oh, there's a nice young lady. Let me pump up and see if that can get me a date with her. But the thing that was crazy was the pump on the right shoe like died within three days. <laughs> this is why. This is why these are on sale. So the pump shoe... We it, and it's it's one of those things that's so hard to explain unless you're there in the moment. And much like Shaq and his athletic brilliance and the Orlando Magic thing, it's like kids may have that comparison of Zion now, but I think you got to give Zion an additional foot and give him 200 pounds, and he still right. moves with the same mobility right. and leaps with the same athleticism. But yeah, it's definitely one of those things where the pump is no no joke. A lot of people have talked to me about the fact that I kind of like the pump. Is that is that okay? I was like, yeah, it's okay. Like I think <laughs> half the fun of the sneaker community is just like you like what you like. It's just yes. people are going to rock with you anyway. So um, the only other one I can remember is more. This is more in like probably like middle school, early high school. There was a time where K Swiss white shells were like a thing. Yeah. At least in, in I grew up in Florida, and for a while, like. That was a thing. And I think that was probably my first exposure to the idea that it wasn't just about having a certain shoe. It was about keeping the shoe looking nice. Yes. Like that, that's a very weird thing, I think, to, go, to transition to um, when you go from being a kid to getting older is the idea that like your shoes should look clean, especially like, I mean – Growing up in Florida, you're like playing outside all the yep. time. It's super like sweaty and muddy and dirty and all these things. And the idea of like, oh, I'm like, these are supposed to look as nice as the day that I bought them was a very interesting sort of uh, shift. I remember that very clearly because like you could tell when somebody had not taken care of their case Swiss. Listen, I mean, the Swiss are a very immaculate people. They're very yes. organized and methodical. And I think you would be besmirching Roger Federer and <laughs> Cesaro and any other famous Swiss men and Swiss women. It's funny you mention that because growing up, the other unspoken rule was I could never get white sneakers for that reason because right. I would just beat them up to hell. And yep. it was being an adult, realizing that, oh, we have friends in the industry or sponsors that are sneaker cleaners. So then like, yeah, now I get into it. And now it's gotten to the point now where I will clean my daughter's sneakers sometimes right before daycare. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I, I can't have you go down the path I went down. because there's much shame that I've brought on to all of our ancestors and you can be the one that breaks the cycle. How, how important, uh, first of all, how old is your daughter? 15 months. Okay. Uh, so what, if I'm half, if I had to guess, I have, uh, a, what is he? Thirteen month old, um, walking or close to it. Yeah. Okay. What is the sneaker strategy for you for her? Like, what what are we doing on your end there? Uh, it's the same. I'm so happy that there is a kids version of the Fly Goies because it's so easy to pop in and out. Yeah. And I think if I wasn't fortunate enough to work at Nike, it would just be all the Velcros because even her papa yeah. struggled to tie shoelaces until he was 25. I'm, yeah. I'm amongst a friend now. I, I feel I can share that in public, but it's always just in and out in terms of getting in and out of the shoe. And hopefully it's somewhat comfortable and know your limitations. So to your point about right. the tiger shoe, we're not trying to run any five K's every day. Yes. Right. <laughs>
So I think that's our sneaker strategy. But I mean, like, what about you? Has there been a similar kind of concept to you? Like, okay, should I invest a lot? Because that was the biggest fight my wife and I had about this particular topic. It was like, I want the kid to be suited and booted. But then I also realized that it's kind of weird when your kid's 14 and you're like, I still have your Air Force Ones from when you were right, a child. Right. So I um, think, yeah. So, so I also have a six-year-old. And with her, it was very much like whatever you will wear. It yeah. was, it could not care less. Like it, we bought it at target for $7. Don't, it doesn't matter at all. But at some point, um, when she, uh, probably when she turned four or five, we had some hand-me-downs, they're Nikes. I forget exactly what style they are. Um, that we inherited from somebody who was like, my kid never wore these. She just didn't like them, didn't want them. So they were they were fresh and clean. Right. And she was like, wow, these are great. And so we are sort of like diving into, okay, this is like these they're not the only thing you're gonna wear. Like you're definitely gonna have you're gonna have your shoes that you're gonna we're right. gonna get beat up. You know, we're going to the park and we know you're gonna end up in the creek or something. So like that's what we're wearing. But now we are start with her because she sort of is starting to develop her own sense of style and Mm -hmm. wants to have that independence. Like it's nice to filter those things in. It's also great because I'll tell you this. If you want, if you have like relatives who are like, I don't know what to get your kid for their birthday or this holiday or whatever. If you can point them towards some slightly nicer sneakers that because they're kids sneakers, like broadly speaking, you're not going to be like, Hey, I need you to drop $380 on these or something. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is a really good sweet spot because now you can be like, Oh, these are the speak. These are the sneakers that your grandmother gave you. And so you got to take good care of them. And they got to see that's brilliant. No. And and it's funny you mentioned that because we went through a similar experience just the other day at her daycare. So she goes to a Spanish immersion school and my Spanish as in the Peggy Hill realm of things. <laughs> so I had those fly goies and they're like a nice green and pink and red swoosh. So I take them and my extra Carolina is just like, it's, it's no necessary. I was like, no, no, she needs shoes. It's out. It's cold outside. She goes, no, right. These are too nice. We have her outdoor shoes. You take these back now because I don't want to see them here. <laughs> So it's, it's one of those things pressure. where, like, I appreciate uh, appreciate you, Maestro Carolina. You're looking sure. out for me, and that's right. That's yeah. right. Like, like understanding con- time and place. Yeah, this is not the time or the place. It truly <laughs> takes a village to raise a dad. Because <laughs> she just looked at me like I had four heads coming right. out of various parts of my body. Like, no, these are indoor shoes. These are not right. outdoor shoes. It's as if you brought a child to school in a tuxedo. Yeah. <laughs> I have high aspirations for my future state senator daughter. And like, there you wait, go. no, come on. It's there you state go. senator. It's not U.S. senator. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, that's one of the other things where, yeah, I have much to learn. So I appreciate you kind of indulging me because I know that was also Absolutely. on the agenda. So I will kind of utilize this as a two-way segue. So we've got a Super Bowl coming up and I wanted yeah. you to touch on some of your other favorite athletes and favorite teams. I know you're a big Gator fan. And a Philadelphia Eagles fan, but is there any other club or player that you kind of want to uh, shine a spotlight on before we go ahead and just talk about the inevitable? Um, I, I think like the AFC championship was both perfect and terrible for me because I was sort of like, I, I was fine with either outcome. Right. Truly. Like I think both Kansas City and Cincinnati are 
really fun teams with really not just good quarterbacks, but like quarterbacks who make the game more exciting in a variety of ways. Yep. They're fun to root for. They have they're like uh they have distinctive skills. Patrick Mahomes is like to say he has distinctive skills is maybe the like <laughs> least compliment you could pay him. Um, But Joe Burrow, I think Joe Burrow, you know, is capable of doing that thing where you're like, oh, he made that throw. Um, I like their coaching staffs. I like that they, I like that these are both teams that are, um, that I'm not sick of. You know, obviously Kansas City's been in the Super Bowl multiple times. Cincinnati was just there, but I'm not over it. I'm not like, okay. It's not the Patriots essentially, but where it's Um, just, a turn of the season is like, oh, right. here's the Patriots in the Super Bowl again. Um, I like I, – I, I'm not a Jaguars fan, but I am a fan of Jaguars fans, if that makes sense. Like, I think the way that diehard Duval people ride for their city and their team is awesome because it is – like, this year it's worked out nicely. Most years, it is a thankless task. It is a miserable task. And like they are, have a level of commitment that is both admirable and terrifying. Um, and beyond that, like I, growing up, I was a Bucks fan. I got away from that because it just like stopped being interesting. I've, like dabbled with a few baseball teams here and there. One of the, I, I will say this one, I, I think the inevitable consequence of working in sports media for a while is you end up becoming a generalist because it's just more interesting. Because yeah. if you are like, yes, I am a Florida fan. It has not been a super interesting at this point decade to be a Florida fan. So it is more interesting to sort of have the, I guess, internal permission to sort of say like, okay, I think Pitt is really interesting this year, or I think Oregon State is super interesting this year, and sort of like treat it like a buffet where you're sort of like, I know the food that I like best, but I don't have to just eat that. I can sort of like mix it up. Every plate can be different, and that's, that's, I think, the fun of it for me. No, I... I'm not in the sports media like you aspirationally, maybe one day, but I also kind of prefer my sports that way because for every Kansas City Chief fandom that I have, and to your point, like up until even this Alex Smith era, it was a big plate of mediocrity. I mean, we had a couple of shining moments here or there, but Smith kind of righted us into a consistency that Mahomes only built in. Like for every Kansas City Chief, I always tell people I need to have my Missouri Tigers, where it's just like it can always be worse. And did I am about the Kansas City Chiefs. I get that sports fandom is a wholly unique experience, but if you're truly ride or die for a Missouri Tigers football season, and I grew up with a lot of these guys, I just am like, this is kind of why I moved. I'd like, I'd like the team, <laughs> but like, really, Gary Pinkle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's what it's what every team needs. and and the, and there are teams that sort of like don't have this. I, I live in I live in Nashville and like Vanderbilt really doesn't have I'm not gonna say they don't have fans, but they don't have the community buy-in that a Missouri does in Columbia. Yeah. Like it's just not there to the point where like if you if Vandy is hosting Georgia, seventy percent of the stadium is gonna be Georgia fans who decided like, oh, I'm gonna turn this into a trip to Nashville. And so I think even when your team is like why are you doing this? What is happening? The alternative is is so uh, kind of unpleasant and difficult 
that I weirdly appreciate that there are people who will carry the torch for the teams where it doesn't make sense to carry one. That's fair. And I think that's a very nice way of looking at it. But like I have a bunch of LA Clippers fans in my life and I think that's where my mind naturally gravitated towards where it's just like, you know what? They do deserve diehard fans like you. So thank you yes. for walking me down on that. <laughs> it's, you mentioned this concept of kind of like jarring sports fan bases. I think growing up in Missouri when we were in the Big 12 and embracing our Midwestern roots and then yeah. when I graduated and I left Missouri to move out to the West Coast and then we joined the SEC. And now every time I go home, I'm like, why is everybody speaking with a Southern accent? So that's been a really <laughs> jarring juxtaposition because it's like – Earlier, like we had a very neutral Bob Costas type of accent. And the analogy I always make is similar to how Texas and California and Florida are the breeding guard, uh, breeding grounds for a lot of quality football players. As much as I hate giving Mizzou journalism this, it's like there's a reason why a lot of good journalists come out sure. of the University of Missouri, even though they're very pompous and up their own ass. But, but the- isn't that true of all the journal? Like there's no journalism school where you're like, oh, they're really good. And also they're super humble. Like that just doesn't exist. I, that's fair. I guess I haven't run into that many Northwestern fans in my life. Sure. Or, yeah, so it's just I've grown up with them and I'm like, I get that you failed your grammar test freshman year and like that got you where you needed to be. So you won this Pulitzer in nuclear engineering. But like, dude, I've heard this 12 times. <laughs> So yeah, maybe it's a little bit different. I, I need more Northwestern fans in my life, so then I can compare and contrast the Man, journalism struggles that affect. That's a thing nobody's ever said. Congra- yeah. You have you. It's it's rare that you have a chance to say something that nobody in human history has ever said. I think you just did it. Like, and this is why. If I'm going to give you guys a shameless plug, this is why we listen to the Shutdown Fullcast because. <laughs> At least three times an episode, some comparison, some comment is made, and it's almost done in an offhanded remark. And then, like a Zapruder film or like the Criterion Collection, you have to pause it, you have to write it down, and then you just have to sit at it and look at it and be like, this is genius. So if I can get one moment like that, it's the least I can do because you've given me so many moments like that. So thank thank you you for that. That's very nice to hear. Thank you. Of course. Uh, I will use this uh, to segue into the big game. So Philadelphia Eagles fan. I didn't know you were a Philadelphia Eagles fan. How did that come about? Okay. So when, when people out in the world ask me this, I have like my set response, which is a lie, but I'll tell the lie here briefly, which is that my godfather is from Philadelphia and, uh, you know, he's very important to me. And therefore I sort of like have attached the Eagles, blah, blah, blah. None of that is true. I mean, like, yes, my godfather is from Philadelphia and he is important to me. It has nothing to do with why I'm an Eagles fan. The short version is I sort of memed myself into it. I, I gravitated towards the Eagles, um, specifically the Doug Peterson Eagles, because I really enjoyed the chaos energy that they had. Like the fact that it remains amazing that Tom Brady, obviously Tom Brady has lost Super Bowls before and he's lost them to Eli Manning, mm-hmm. but to lose to Nick Foles in a Super Bowl is still one of the craziest things that's, that's ever happened and is just like such a good little fact. You combine that with like Philly and Philly Twitter's penchant for true weirdness. The, the simplest distillation of this is like Hitchbot, the idea that somebody was like, we're going to build a robot that will sort of like tour the country. And it, by the, once it got to Philadelphia, they basically like beat it to death and that was it. There's, there's a weird sort of, uh, chaos energy is the only way I can think of to describe it to 
Philly and the Eagles that I really like and that I think is a, a lot of fun. And and so much of it is that you know most teams are very, most fan bases are very much like hey we can talk shit about our team but you can't. And Philly fans I think are more like hey we can talk you can't talk shit about our team because we're better at it. Like you're missing several la- when you do it you're missing several layers and several points. Like it is a brutally there is a reason why Allen Iverson thrived so well because he had that same sort of like forever chip on his shoulder, forever like fuck you, I'm going to do it myself. Like he is sort of a really good embodiment of it. But I sort of did this as a bit for long enough that now I like follow the team and care about them and was like I was going to be really pissed if they lost to the Giants in the divisional round because I'm like, you beat the Giants twice. That shouldn't happen. Right. Um, so I, I'm not going to say like I am a full on died in the wool Eagles fan. There, there are, I'm, I'm f- way down on the list, but they are a team I care about at this point. No, that's awesome. And it's funny you mentioned that because I remember distinctly sitting in a bar. I think it might have been Andy Reid's first or second year as the Chiefs coach. And I'm just kind of watching and it's a playoff collapse. And I don't know if it was the Tennessee one or the Indianapolis one. And I just hear cackling at every questionable decision. And so I was like, first time, like, okay, it's funny. Second time, I'm just like, who is doing this? Third time, I figure it out. So I look and that dude is literally telling me with his eyes, please say something to me. Because he's got his <laughs> Eagles hat on. He goes, I want to fight you. Right. Fight right. you because of how much joy I'm taking in Andy right. Reid being Andy Reid. And you're not used to this. And you can't right. say shit to me, like you right. said. So it was one of those things where I was just like, let me get that man a bottle of the finest ice water this establishment has. I'm going to try to make friends with you because lo and behold, Andy Reid has been a constant in my life. And it's one yeah. of those things where I love your chaos energy because the one thing I always admire about a fan base that I'm not a part of is how chaotic, uh, how chaotic they are and how angry they are. Yeah. And if there's two words that describe Philly, it's chaotic and angry and it's one of those things where i remember telling my wife like hey let's watch abbott elementary because i would assume that there's going to be an amount of chaos and hostility and Mm -hmm. with the exception of maybe one character it's very generic and i'm like this is why i should have just given you it's sunny in philadelphia because that (laughs) like philly's having a golden era of content between alan iverson and sunny because that truly is the philly experience yes yes 100 percent. yes so how are you feeling about the game itself? Like, uh, like I think every time I look, the line changes one and a half. So is there a couple of barometers that you know watching the Phillies now for the last couple of years? We're like, okay, this is a good game for us because X, Y, Z has happened. It's it's weird because when you step back and you look at this Eagles team from the perspective of the start of the year, <clears throat> it feels like at this point. It is entirely house money. This is not a team that was picked to win the division, was maybe picked to like sneak into the playoffs or something. It was not a team that was like, oh, they're going to like rip off 12 straight wins to start the year. They're going to lock up the number one. You know, everything they've accomplished, and more specifically what Jalen Hurts has accomplished, is far beyond what the expectations were, reasonable or otherwise. And I'm trying to sort of maintain, this is the least Philly thing I think I could say, that level of perspective that there is not a scenario where this is a failure of a year for the Eagles, in part because like they have some exciting young pieces, they have 
they are not a team like the Saints or the Vikings where it's like you're in cap hell and you've lost all your draft picks and what do you like if it didn't work now you're totally screwed um that said i think the eagles are the eagles are a hard team to put a pin in right now because the last let's say month has been um not a lot of useful data right playing with jalen hurts uh playing without jalen hurts towards the end of the year didn't really tell us a ton about what this team is going to look like in the Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts sort of playing his way back from injury did not tell us a lot. And then obviously the NFC Championship. It's like the way that played out with the 49ers on offense basically like having a disconnected controller through no fault of their own, it makes it really hard to sort of um, come to any conclusions. The other part of this that makes this really hard, frankly is the Kansas City side, which is that, like, it's very hard to make any hard and fast predictions about the team with Patrick Mahomes. Because you look at what just happened in the AFC Championship, and obviously so much of the focus there was about his health, his ankle, what he would or would not be able to do. And I think, like, with some small exceptions, largely uh, outpaced expectations there. But to me, the interesting thing is less what he did with his own physical limitations and more the cast of characters. Like, the fact that they were able to close that game out with, like, special teamers and practice squad guys coming up with big catches and and, and not sort of have to say, like, okay, here's wide receivers one through three. That's wild. And, the, and that is, I think, the thing that makes him and this Chiefs team so unpredictable. And I don't know what to do. I mean, you tell me. What do you do with that? No, I really can't do much with it except just enjoy the ride. Because to your yeah. points, like when you have this and you have been force-fed the Elvis Gerbachs, the Steve Bonos of the world, and you're like, yep. oh, I don't know what to do with this. And then you go to the opposite end of the spectrum and you're having like filet mignon every night. <laughs> I just remember one game where he missed a simple throw and I just got unreasonably angry. And then I had to literally remove myself from the game and be like, this dude is going to bring you so much happiness in the next 15 years. Knock on wood. Do not get upset because he missed a five yard out because then you kind of turn into a broad caricature of a New England Patriot fan or like a Northeastern fan in the sense that, oh, everything is atrocious. My team is trash. No, they're not. So for me, it's one of those things where I think you guys have the much better roster. I think if we look at it positionally, I would always give the check marks to the Eagles. The one thing I think keeps us somewhat in the game is 15. And it's one of those things where even I know this is kind of a weird Super Bowl in the grand scheme of things. He got blown out by that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, but I still stand by that. It was one of the more impressive performances I ever saw a quarterback have, even though he lost and statistically he was atrocious. He was still trying things. He was still becoming the wizard that we all have kind of expected him to be. And if he pulled off some of those, like he still would have lost the game, but that would have been one of the greatest throws ever, or that would have been one of the most unreal performances. So that's where I have to just kind of make sure that I have to keep myself honest. As like a telltale sign of my team, like, okay, if I know X happens, something good is going to happen in terms of a win or a loss. Anytime he throws the ball to uh, Travis Kelsey and Travis Kelsey like slowly tugboats his direction and then like 
button hooks and curls it upfield. And I'm like, that is the slowest man in the history of earth. But then nobody tackles him and he gets five to 15 yards more than anticipated. Then I feel like that's comforting because we have this narrative in football where your tight end is supposed to be your safety blanket. And in that regard, he's my safety blanket as a fan now, because I'm like, if he can take a five yard play and make it a 20 yard play, something's going right with that team. So I'm going to be interested to see that. Now, that being said, if Philly wins, the only request I have, and I'm sure you're going to talk to Eagles brass about this is, can we get round two of Jason Kelsey's post game, Super Bowl (laughs) parade, mummers, his mummers look, I mean, hopefully he's just he, he'll just bring it and come out for the trophy ceremony. And frankly, I mean, um, at this point, like I don't want to mess with greatness because, to your point, like we have to make this resolution ourselves as sports fans. Like we just have to embrace greatness. We don't have yeah. to embrace de- debate. Sorry, ESPN, but like that is pitch perfect. Like the anger, the hostility, like. He's drunk. The, ridic- he's the ridiculousness drunk. that he's doing all this and effectively a Wizard of Oz costume. Yes. Yeah. It's the ultimate lollipop game. Uh, and not only that, the sheer length of that list. Like, I don't know if you're a wrestling fan. It just reminds me of the Chris Jericho uh, list of a thousand and four holds <laughs> right. where he's like, right. Dennis Wisniewski, right. Lane Johnson, assistant right. GM, the head trainer. <laughs> just everybody had a personal mountain to climb that year. And yes. Jason Kelsey was there to commemorate it and let yes. you know it's the most Philly shit ever that we went through it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, – I, I, I mostly think it will be a very entertaining Super Bowl because there are – you can sort of see the angle – you can sort of talk yourself into – whatever direction you want to. You can say like, okay, the Phillies linebackers are not great in coverage. And that's a thing that Kelsey and maybe the running backs getting loose. Like you can see how that gets exploited. You can say Kansas city secondary is super young and super green. And that's where if Jalen hurts his shoulder is healthy, like they will just bomb them away. Like they'll just do that. You can, you can sort of like, push this in several permutations. And I think what will be interesting is that this will, this doesn't feel like this will be a Super Bowl where it starts one way and it stays that way. Like the best example of that is probably the Pats Rams Super Bowl, the the more recent one, not the uh, Brady's first Super Bowl title where it's sort of like, Oh, okay. Schematically, New England came into that game and was like, this is what we're going to do to shut down St. Louis offense. St. Louis just – St. Louis, L.A. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> couldn't adjust as a result. I think this is going to have more of an ebb and flow, a lot like the AFC Championship game probably, where you're sort of like, just because one team gets out to a lead, even a double-digit lead, it probably doesn't mean a lot. Yep. I I think I agree with that because I think for me, the most fun football games are the ones that turn into a Jenga contest, a sword fight, where it's just like, okay, we just took your best shot. Here's our best shot. Right, right. I know it's a popular thought of like, oh, it's going to come down to who has the ball last. Yeah, that's kind of fun for us. That's, I think, what we're all secretly rooting for if our teams are not involved. But schematically, I'm trying to learn more about the game myself, but I think – non-skill position matchup, I would love to see who gets the better of that Jason Kelsey-Chris Jones matchup because sure. I think they're both at the top of their game. And I wish I knew a little bit more about line play to really articulate why one person has a strength in certain situations. But I think that's going to be the really fun game to watch. And it's funny you mentioned Allen Iverson previously because of how much he embodied that Philly ethos. Jalen Hurts to me, initially, not that guy. Just very smooth, very... Sure. 
just kind, lack of a better term. But then to what you kind of call out in terms of Philly always feels the need to prove themselves and project why they were there. Like I became a fan of Jalen Hurts just because of how he was in Alabama. He never once kind of raised a kerfuffle about the fact that, okay, you know, I was a starter. He just goes about his business. And I think there is something inherently Philly about like internalizing it and then being very productive about it, but not being Mm -hmm. demonstrative. And then anybody that can get an entire Northeastern fan base to, jump for joy that Anita Baker is going to be singing the national anthem. Like that was my favorite Philly football Twitter subplot of the year was just the amount of happiness that was associated with Anita Baker that I didn't think we would see past the 1970s as a day. Yes. Yes. That's entirely, that's an entirely reasonable point as well. Yeah. Um, it obviously it remains to be seen like what Jalen hurts will be for the next five years or whatever. But this year alone has just been so it's been so nice for him because Going back to his college career, as you said, and even sort of like the way in which he came onto the Eagles, where like ownership and Carson Wentz and the friend, like the head coach, like they're all at each other's throats, and he's just sort of there in the background. This was it's it's nice that it sort of has paid off for him in a way where it's like, oh, okay, you've you've worked hard and you've developed, you've developed skill. And that is paying off for you. And that's just awesome. It's, it also feels like in the same way that Eagles fans famously booed Donovan McNabb when he got drafted. And like by all measure, Donovan McNabb was a, a great quarterback for Philly. I know he threw up in the Super Bowl. I, we all saw it. We've all thrown up in a big moment. We, we've all thrown up in a big moment before. But it, it, there is something that like, somebody who has the Jalen Hurts storyline kind of fits better than somebody who gets drafted super high, super, you know, reg- well-regarded and all that. This this feels more right. Ryan, you were talking about throwing up in a big moment, and uh, my laptop decided to indulge you in that. So <laughs> what you were saying. Yeah. Um, I, I, I am terrible at making predictions, so I won't say what I think will happen in the Super Bowl. Um but I do think it will I do think it will be the kind of thing that everybody walks away from feeling reasonably good about the effort that was put forward. I don't think any I, I truly do not think it will be like one team I don't think there's a this is TCU Georgia. Let me just put it that no, way. I don't think so either. And it's one of those things where um even if the Chiefs lose, I'm not too upset about, sure. uh, upset about it because of the fact that the Eagles win. You're an Eagles fan. I've got a couple other Eagles fans in my life, and I would like to see Jalen Hurts win. And I'll end on this one anecdote because I think somebody was interviewing the aforementioned Jason Kelsey, and he was talking about the fact that you know court, uh, linemen often get gifts from their quarterbacks. So Carson Wentz got the entire O-line, uh, I believe, shotguns. That sounds right. And, yeah. yeah, and Jalen Hurts, designer luggage. So on that <laughs> note, we will – allow you to pack this episode up, put it in your overhead compartment, Beautiful. and we will say goodbye. So Ryan, before we truly sign off for the night, where can people follow you in case they want to learn more about you or the Shutdown Fullcast or any other projects? Sure. Uh, you can find me at Celebrity Hot Tub on Twitter and Instagram. There's not that much interesting going on on Instagram. Like, occasionally I'm like, hey, here's a cake I made. Um, or if you want me to join your podcast, uh, ryan.nanny at gmail.com. Like, this this I know that this is quote unquote out of my comfort zone as not a major sneaker person, but like I've already somebody who who operates a banking podcast was like, I don't know, do you want to talk? And so 
all all topics fair game i'll be as stupid as i am here in other places most notably the shutdown forecast but um yeah let me know i'll come i'll come hop on a podcast no problem excellent and you were not stupid you were running circles around me at one point so we are all good because your laptop actually decided to be perfectly functioning. just this so once just this just once. once we'll take it just though uh you can find me on twitter at roheasy you can find me on instagram at road m13 please follow the sneaker history podcast we also have our formula one podcast exhaust notes we put the exhaust in exhaust notes because how silly we are and it's one of those things that i got to talk to one of my podcasting idols in a sense because that full cast energy is what we try to convey on the exhaust well, thank you so very I thank much. you for that ryan and thank you again for the opportunity to interview you and we look forward to seeing what you've got next thanks man hey hey nick here again before you take off i want to thank you for listening to the sneaker history podcast be sure to hop into our discord to answer this episode's the last shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.